Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, what, so what are the important things that you should be doing today? Uh, what are the things that you can't do without? Uh, what's on your agenda for today? Uh, how many of you are big agenda people? You like to know what's going on and what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, You think about that, and, and for most of us, there's... Uh, too much to do and too little time to do it in. The, the list is longer. And so there's that priority thing where you throw things out or some things become less important. But there are those things that you have to do that you see as important, those things that you will not live without. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at one of those things. And it's uh, uh, kind of a new thing for our agenda, uh, especially if you've just trusted in Christ and you feel like yourself, uh, you are a new believer in Jesus, this will be a different way of thinking. Um, And it's a a critical and important piece to what it is to live as Christ's, that you are his child and now your life is for him. If that is true of you, this will be true of you. As we look at uh, this passage this morning, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the last section in chapter 1. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd love to read it for you, uh, starting at verse 22. God's word says this, Having purified your souls uh, by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. God, we ask your blessing on your word right now. We ask that you would help us to understand it and that it would mark us, that your spirit would uh, mark us in a permanent way that we would be changed. God, uh, so much is left to be done in our hearts. We realize, though, uh, once we've trusted in you, our salvation is secure, but uh, yet there's work to be done. And God, we ask that you your spirit would do that work now in changing us to be the people you've saved us to be. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, This morning there's three points because pastors always have three points. Um, uh, So if you're looking for a scorecard, we're going to have three points and we'll fill those in as we go. Uh, This morning it starts off having purified, having purified. And if you look at the, the greater context, context of chapter 1, you realize that they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing. Peter is pointing these believers that have struggled and things are hard. He's pointing them over and over to this rich salvation that came to them, that, that saved them, that gave them life that was so amazing that the angels don't even quite understand how it is that God could love sinful man so much. So much, and, and this overwhelming that this is what Jesus has done for you. Uh, this morning, I, 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 find, um, I find it too common for me to sing about the gospel. 
I'm a pastor. I grew up in the church. I've, I've sang a lot of songs in my time. I haven't logged them all. and I, haven't, I don't keep a tally, but I even go to two services. So, uh, you know, boy, am I a spiritual guy, you know. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I've sang a lot of songs, and sometimes they can become no big deal that we sing about being forgiven of our sins. Uh, and so in this first chapter, we see over and over again uh, the greatness of our salvation, that God would save a sinner like you, like you, like me, uh, that he wouldn't cast us aside. I think in our disposable culture, uh, you realize that around your house, there's plenty of things you use and throw away. Um, and I, I want to tell you that you're so common to God that it would be appropriate if he saw you as something dirty and worthless and threw you away. But he doesn't. He doesn't. In fact, he invests his special son that we might have life. And so this morning, this, there's this basis of, uh, of what we are about to hear and about what he calls us to. And we see in verse uh, 22 that the gospel saves, but not just saves. That's kind of the prior point. It's now transforming. It's now changing us. It's not that he, uh, if you can imagine yourself as uh, someone who is lost in perversion, lost in perversion, and God saves you, he changes you, he, he, uh, he, he saves your life, he makes you one of his own. He doesn't leave you as that perverse person. He now desires to change you and change your life from that, the deadness of your sin, to now what it is to, to live with Christ and to be His. And it's, so he says in verse 22, having purified, having purified. It's not just that He saves you and leaves you dirty. He saves you and then is in the process of changing you to make you pure. This morning, before I go any further, I just want to say... Um, be careful, be careful that you don't see yourself as just a dirty Christian. That Christ saved you, but you can still remain in your sins. And it's no big deal because we're forgiven. That's not what the New Testament teaches about being saved. It teaches that God saves us eternally, but he also is in the process of sanctifying us and changing us, making us holy. And uh, by the way, that's a, a big theme of the book of First Peter making us holy, changing us to what he wants us to be. And so, uh, as he says this, having purified, uh, we realize that this purification is not just God zapping us, and we, we can't imagine it happening, but we participate in that. We part, it's our desire as well, alongside the desire of our Savior, the power of our Savior to change us. He desires to take us from that dirty person to now being in relationship with Him, a holy God. Think about that. We, we don't remain that dirty person and, and in a relationship with a holy God. He makes us holy so that we would be with Him and like Him in relationship. How does this happen? Verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by what? By your obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. That now you've exchanged. How, how do you live before Christ? Why do you make sinful decisions and prideful choices? Why, why do you do that before you know Christ? Because you're dead in your sins, right? 
and you're stuck, stuck in this world, uh, Ephesians 2, you're stuck in this world that you know, is controlled by the enemy and you're stuck and you're in that pattern just like everybody else and you're kind of, uh, you're floating downstream just like everybody else. You're a part of it. And it's not that you think, I need to be selfish right now. It's right there. It's right there. It's, it's part of your birth into the sinful world. You, being selfish and proud is no big deal. It's, it, there's no learning. You don't have to go to school for this, right? Uh, it, it's the air we breathe. It's the heart that we have. So when you come to know Christ, uh, it's being saved, but also learning a new way, learning to walk again, learning to start again. It, it, this passage is going to say, be born again. And so uh, you, you know what it is to have a, uh, a little baby and what they need to learn everything, right? Everything. Uh, and so this is the picture of salvation the gospel saves us, but it is also in, in this transforming or purifying us. Uh, and it comes from obedience to the truth. Um, this is kind of uh, Christianity 101. How, how do I live as a Christian? I've come to know Christ. How do I do this? Obey. Obey. For many of us, that word obedience, we hate it. We hate it. It reminds us of our, our mom or our dad taking all the fun out of life, uh, ruining our lives by putting you know, barriers in the way to all kinds of fun. Uh, that's not the picture that God has for us. Uh, obedience is now giving us the pattern of life, not death. We followed uh, it says we obeyed our lust or our, our, our sinful flesh. We, we obeyed that prior to this, and it brought about death. Now we are learning and growing to obey the truth, not obey the lies, right? And it's good for us to know the truth and walk in that. And so this is the picture of what it is we are to be doing and have done, ha- having been purified by obedience to the truth. I, I want to tell you this, that... Uh, Apart from you being a pure Christian, a holy Christian that God has designed you to be, you can't be ready to do what he wants you to do. Uh, I, I want you to get this picture. I, I, it's baseball season. Does anyone know that? It's baseball season. Forget Super Bowl's over. It's over. It's baseball season. And you think about that, and you think about how I always love seeing the picture of, of little kids and how they, they play and their excitement. But they need to be ready to go perform. And I say perform, you know, to one degree or another, it's a performance, whether a good performance or a bad one. Anyways, but this idea to be ready, it's not just that they put a jersey on. It's that, you know, we had kids, I remember coaching and you have one kid, and they just have a terrible game, and you wonder why. And they go, oh, I had a sleepover last night. And you're going, oh, there it is. There it is. They were sleeping on the field because they didn't sleep in their bed. They weren't ready. Uh, they were crippled in some way. And, and I want to I bring this to you to be a, a very important for us as God's people. Some of us, you, you, you're still stuck in your sin. Not stuck because Christ hasn't saved you, but you're going back to the garbage can 
that God saved you from. And you're staying there. And you say, hey, I, I, I don't care. I'm saved. You know, I can still remain this person that God has saved me from. That's not his intention. And, and what is happening, what is happening, we're going to see real quickly, is that because you remain in those sins, and when I say remain, it's not because you're stuck, you can't get out, but because you keep going back to them. You're, you're not equipped. You're not equipped to do the, the very important task that God has for you in relationship to believers, to family. And you say, well, uh, you know, what's the big deal? It's just a game. It's not just a game. I was talking about Little League just a moment ago. This is a war. This is a war where God has designed us to be dependent on one another. He's designed us to be dependent. And you say, well, what do you mean dependent? I'm not, I'm not dependent on anybody. Oh, so you're just weak all by yourself. Because God's intention, if you read the New Testament, is the body of Christ, the church. And this morning we're going to see the one another's, the one another's. That He has caused us and saved us to be connected to one another. Well, what happens... If we're meant to be dependent on one another and need one another, what happens if you're not ready for the game? What happens if you're not ready for the war? There's a weakness in our team. There's somebody missing out on what God intended to do through you for them. Think about that. We are connected one to another. And if we are still dependent, dabbling in these impure sins that we were saved from, I want to tell you that we are not ready, we are not ready to do the very thing that God commands us to do. And so somebody else is suffering because of it. The gospel saves and transforms, and now we will see that uh, the gospel is influenced and really directs relationships uh, it it's, goes on from there in verse 22. He says, uh, For sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. From a pure heart. If you see that, you see this sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. And then it says love one another. Let's, let's unpack that. But, but know this, that your relationship with God is one thing, is one thing. But that gives the foundation for relationships with one another. It's the, it's the foundation, the fuel, the everything for right relationship. That's why in a marriage, uh, premarital counseling, one of the most basic questions, have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? Because people can't even get married without Christ. They can... People do it all the time. They do it all the time. You know, many, many of you have done that prior to knowing Christ. What's the problem with that? Well, that person is still dead in their sins. That person is still stuck in the sinfulness. And, and the idea, they, they don't have the basis for true love that, that God desires and He calls us to. So you see that you see that basis that that God gives us. He transforms us to be ready to love, 
And then he calls us this relationship with him now is relationship with one another. He says this purification, it prepares us for what? For a sincere brotherly love. And then he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Brotherly love. Now, uh, forgive me if I uh, offend anybody here today that's from Philadelphia. Um, I've been to Philadelphia, and uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love. That's the word. That's the word. Uh, It's kind of a scary city of brotherly love when I went through there. And, uh, you know, and some of the people I've met have, I thought, you're from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Um, this picture is, it's the word, that, that's, that's where they get the word Philadelphia. That, that's the word uh, for love that is used in this passage, this brotherly love. And, and what this is pointing to, so prior to coming to know Christ, uh, you did not have brothers and sisters in the Lord. You didn't have them. You didn't have them. You didn't have a relationship with God, the Father. You were outside of the family of God. Uh, Some would picture that if you don't have a family, you are an orphan, if you will. Uh, You're outside. The family's right here. You're outside of that. And the, the picture here is this. When he says brotherly love, he's saying now you have relationship, brother sister relationship, one to another. And what he's calling on us to remember is because of Jesus, he has made us family. Because of Jesus. Before, before you knew Christ, uh, how did you make decisions? You didn't make them because of family, right? You, you said, asked the question. You didn't even ask the question, but it just came to you quickly. What do I want to do? Selfish driven. What, what, what will make me look best? Pride, right? Pride and selfishness are the things that you... And, and it's not just that it was pride and selfishness. It was about you. It was about you. It was about self-preservation. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, what's best for me. Self. But now Christ saved you. So he's changed you. And what has he changed? He's changed your relationship one to another. That it's not just about you anymore. In fact, because he is taking care of everything, your needs are set aside. They're already taken care of. And now he calls you, calls you to brotherly love, family love. Um. This purification, it's not just that it equips us, but it frees us that we might love one another. And this brotherly love is an example of that. Um, one writer said it like this. He said, uh, it's, it's not that we're supposed to love because we're brothers. Like, like you know, I'm going to love you like a brother. It's because we now are brothers that we love this way. Because the family relationship has changed, now we love differently. Um, 
he says this and he says, uh, uh, he says, this is a sincere, not a hypocritical. That's that word hypocritical in there. It's not a fake sort of thing where we put on a face. We now love as brothers. We have this brotherly love in a sincere, honest sort of way. And I want to say it this way. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. This is what we are. This is what we are. I, I find it interesting that um, how, if you go to a sporting event, and even here today, there, we have some family members that were super excited about this time. Why? Because that was their daughter or their son or their grandson. Uh, what a picture. What a beautiful picture of family saying, we are in what our family's about. We are excited for them. I watch uh, siblings going to sporting events and uh, they look at the field and, you know, they look at and they go, that's my brother out in center field. Hey, my brother's, hey, be quiet. My brother's up to bat right now. Okay. You know, uh, they, you know, they go to these awards assemblies at the school where you can barely breathe in the auditorium or the, you know, and they're, why are you here? And they're taking pictures. They're pushing everybody out of the way. They're taking pictures. Why? Because that's my daughter. And she won an award today for what? It doesn't matter. That's my daughter. That's my sister. Most important person in the whole room. This is the reason I'm here. I can't breathe in here is because of them. Because we're family. That's what God has changed us to be. He's changed us to be family. Um, so, so he uses the Philadelphia kind of love where he says, sincere brotherly love, and then he goes right into love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's a different word for love. The word agape is used there. And agape is more an intellectual love. Some of you love country music, and you know they always talk about love, and how they love their, their wife, their ex-wife, their truck, their tractor, their dog, their beer. Sometimes even throwing Jesus in there. We just love them all, right? It's not a stupid kind of emotional kind of just saying it sort of love. It's the idea that says I'm all in. It's the word for love that is attributed to Jesus so many times that it's this picture that he's all in. And and what a picture of Jesus being all in because he went to the cross, right? For the love of the Father and for the love of lost souls like you and I, He loved us uh, in doing what is best. That picture of love is like this, that uh, it is the highest good of the one loved, for the one loved, even at the expense of the one loving. Think about that right now. That it's caring about what's best for somebody else at the expense of the one love. Um, let, me, let me take a step back here. Uh, I, I, I want to be honest that most of us are into self-love. We're into self-love. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I will love you. I will love you. As long as I get something back. And as long as I get back what I want to get back. Um, and, and there's a score, there's a scoreboard on this deal, right? There's a scoreboard. So I loved you. I did it. 
One for me on my, my side right here. One for me. And now I'm waiting. It's your turn. You need to love me back. Oh, you didn't. You're at negative one. And uh, there's a, a score or there's a time where we get to the place where we say, forget it. I'm done with you. I want to tell you, that's not what's spoken up here. That's not the kind of love that God showed us in His Son, Jesus. He said, you're a mess. I I want to even say this. To everyone else, you're worthless. But to me, I will love you. I will do what's best for you. The cost of myself. And this is what He calls His people to. Do, Do you get that? He says, brotherly love, that's what we are. We're family here. Now he says, love one another. Love one another. This picture of us living, God's people living, where we look to one another and we say, you're the focus here and I'll pay for it. Uh, When we get together, when I speak to you, I'll speak for your benefit, even if it hurts me. Even if I have to pay the price, I will love you because we're family. We're one another. He, uh, th- this passage is a passage of uh, intensity that he wants us to love one another. And so he's underlining and reiterating and giving words to intensify it. He says this, uh, as he calls us in this brotherly love relationship, that he, and then he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly. This idea of diligence or intensity that we are to, uh, you know, one of the words, some of the uh, younger folks around here always laugh because I, I hate the word intentional. Like, uh, because... It means that the rest of our life is unintentional and we're just flailing along. And every once in a while, we dial in, right? We make a point of it. Um, I want to tell you that this is the kind of love that he wants us to be about, is that we are thinking about one another. We are caring for one another. We are asking the question, how will they hear this? And when I speak, how will they take it? What will this make them feel? Will this inspire them? Will this encourage them? Or uh, should I say it a different way? Will this make them feel awkward? Will this make them feel uncomfortable? Will this discourage them from walking with Christ? And to be able to say, I'm going to do what's best for them. Because Christ has saved me, he's purified me. I'm going to do what's best for them. That's love. That's what that looks like. Um. I want to tell you, if we're loving ourselves, if that's our greatest priority, we will not do this. We won't do it. Because we're too busy loving ourselves that we don't have any time for one another. We won't pay the price. We say, oh, it'll hurt too much. I could lose in this. You could. But you really can't. We'll get to that in the end. Okay? You really can't lose anything by loving as Christ wants us to love. Well, Uh, we get down to verse 23 and we see the gospel is eternal life. It's eternal. Um, 
in verse 23, he kind of, if you look at verse 22, the beginning, he gives us kind of a reason or a basis. And then he goes back to the reason uh, why we can love this way, why it's so great and we are so confident is because we now have eternal life. And he looks to really everything else and he says this, um, Verse 23, since, since we have been born again, that's our salvation, and not of perishable but imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. And he says, uh, for this, he says, for all flesh is like grass and the glory like the flower of the grass. This is something that the folks from Tehachapi can get, right? Uh, it's starting to green up around here, right? Once again, you know, we're, we had a 70, it was 70 degrees, beautiful, right? The last couple of days have been amazing, right? So it's not going to snow again, right? Not till June, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things. And what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen. If you've been here before, uh, you know, in August, it's awful, right? It's dry and you're like there's not a thing living around and you're not even sure you're living, you know. And it's just dry and, and then finally the, the fog, rain, snow comes, right? Um, and uh, I, sorry for the people I cut off, by the way, on the way to church this morning. I, I think I cut off two people in my commute this morning and uh, you know who you are. Uh, but um, the weather changes and we see this picture of, of the grass growing green and it being beautiful and even flowers, the wildflowers coming out. But what's going to happen to those? Temporary, right? Some years it's two weeks, right? You know, oh, the wildflowers are out. Get your cameras out. Why? They're just, they're going to be gone in two weeks. It's going to be too dry. They're going to fall apart. And what, what is put side by side, we are born again, that, that, that this what we have, this birth that we have is imperishable. It's not a, a temporary thing. And he puts the, the word of God, the message of the gospel side by side to these temporary things that pop up and go away. And he says, no, we're not like that. Why? Because we have a gospel, a, a good news for us based on Jesus that is eternal and grants us eternal life. We're born again. We're not dead again. We're born again. And so we have a new life that we can now live in loving one another. It's based upon the living and abiding Word of God. It's not something that is based upon uh, the next election or the weather or whether our country is going to be a big deal or whether we have a job or whether the economy is great. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff based upon the living and abiding Word of God. Everything's temporary, except for that message. Everything. And so as we base our life upon His eternal Word, we have eternal life. You look at verse 25, it says, But the Word of the Lord remains forever. And just as a conclusion, he says, And this is the Word Word is the good news that we preach to you. This is the message that we base it on. The, the word that's eternal, this is the message that we believe in. This is the message we trust in. I want to give you, uh, as conclusion for this message this morning, four things on how we do this, how we love like this, okay? First of all, this, purification. 
purification. How do we, uh, how do we love like this? Number one, purification. The old life of filth will make you crippled when it comes to loving one another. And so for you, deal with those things. Confess them to the Lord. Go over them again. Don't, don't get used to them. Uh, some of us, we do this thing where we say, um, we, we struggle with a particular sin. Maybe it's the, the sin of our mouth, the things that we say. We say, oh, I'm just a cussing Christian. That doesn't sound right, does it? Okay, it's not right. So deal with it in the Lord. It's not going to be easy, right? Uh, some of you have been cussing for a very long time, and you come from a great line of cussers, right? Uh, you, you may look at it like that, and you say, well, I'm just gonna, I want to tell you, the Lord has saved you from that. And so walk with him in the purification. He wants to do a work in your life. Maybe it's perversion, and, and you say, well, I've been, same thing. Maybe it's just the way you view life. You're, you're a bitter person or you struggle with jealousy or gossip or, or pride, any of those things. And you say, that's the work of the Lord that he wants to do in me. And me being in submission to that and saying, it's got to happen now. I'm going to walk with him. So purification. Secondly, uh, just in similar vein, obey, obey. I want to be honest with you. Some of you think you're great thinkers. You're not. You're not. You're not. You, you want to philosophize about why you've done the things you've done and, you know, really get a great strategy and this and that for living. Don't do any of that. Obey. Obey. Trust God. When you see a command in His Word, you say, I'm going to hold your hand. I've never done that before. This whole obeying thing, never, never even thought. Loving one another, haven't thought about it. It's a new thought for me. It's Christianity 101. I'm going to hold your hand, and I, I'm going to obey you, even if I can't see it, even if I don't understand it. I will obey you. A child with his father, right? A child doesn't you know, understand all, so you won't understand all. So you hold the hand of your father and obey. Obey. Do what he wants. Uh, uh, you may say, I can't love someone. I want to tell you, you have a Lord and Savior who saved you, and He commanded you to do so. Commanded you to do so. Number three, uh, follow the gospel model. Follow the gospel model. Uh, as you think about loving, it should be a simple thing for us. Uh, I, I know I'm called to love these people that are God's people. I'm called to love them, but I, I feel like I can't do that. I want to say, you have a gospel model. And you say, what do you mean by a gospel model? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. That's the gospel model. How do I love somebody? Just like God loved you. If you go on reading in chapter, 1 John chapter 4, it says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Follow the gospel model. And lastly, remembering that this is new thinking, new thinking. 
Now, before you came to know Christ, what was kind of the innate thing, how you made decisions? I'll tell you what it is. Survival of the fittest. I do this for my own self-preservation. I think about what's best for me. I want to tell you the new thinking, the new thinking, thinking, uh, is survival of the family, not the fittest. Survival of the family. When we speak, we should ask the question, how will this be heard? How will this be thought of? What are my actions doing? Are they bringing courage to my brothers and sisters and even calm to them? Be careful. Some of us, we think uh, we're, we're the drama team. And our, our gift, our spiritual gift, is bringing drama to other people's lives. To, to raise their blood pressure, right? That, that's what we do, right? We come and we say, oh, no! And, and everyone's saying, oh, no, already before they know what they're oh-knowing about, right? I want to tell you, our goal as Christians is not to, it's to calm the sheep. It's to walk with them, to remind each other of God's faithfulness. Do you do that? Is your life and actions, uh, will the things, the words that you say, will they bring fuel for the, the fight that God has called us to? What are you saying? What are you doing? It's interesting. Uh, it, it can be your presence, your presence, your encouraging presence. It can be a smile that you grant someone and greet somebody with. It can be a kind word. It can be a kind note. It can be a kind, I, I, I hate to say this out loud. You can even use social media to encourage somebody in the Lord. That's, some, some of your heads just fell off because you just said, is that what that's for? I thought it was for me venting and being weird. I, I thought it was for me stirring up political strife. I want to tell you that everything that comes out of your life should be this idea of loving one another. Loving one another. And so we we need to think differently. It's a new way of thinking. Um, If it's not good for your brother, if it's not good for your brother, don't say it, don't do it. If it won't bring them blessing, don't do it. This is not what God has saved you for. So that we would remember it's survival of the family, not the fittest. God, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. And we ask that you would help us to love you more and love one another more and better. Uh, God, uh, sometimes we think we are great lovers of one another And in reality, we are still stuck in selfishness and pride. God, we ask that you would do the good work in us, the work that we cannot do without you, and that you would uh, make us ready uh, and make us effective in our role in your body. We ask that you do your work in your church now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.